Hey everybody, welcome to the Ironworks Podcast. I'm Pastor Tyler. And I'm Zach. Today we're talking about spiritual disciplines. Maybe you're not familiar with that term, but I'm sure you're familiar with the concept, and it's something, if you are a believer, that you've tried to implement in your life, even if you don't know it by that name. And really, this amounts to personal growth. So, I mean, what is this, Zach? What are we going to be talking about today? Well, we're going to start kind of a new series and go through, uh, we're going to have today, we're kind of an introduction on what are spiritual disciplines, why are they important, why why is it something that we should really be striving for, why is it not a bad thing, just all that kind of stuff. And then we're also going to introduce some of the spiritual disciplines, and we'll carry that through. And there's a lot of these. There's a lot of different ways of practices that God wants us to have in our life that help us to grow and be sanctified. And that's kind of the focus of spiritual disciplines is that they assist in our sanctification. So let's kind of, I think the first thing we want to do is like anything is, okay, what are these scripturally, biblically? Why should we care about them? Why are they important based on on the Bible? Right. And the, the short version is that we are to be growing spiritually. We are to be growing in our spiritual life. We are not to remain static, but we are to be constantly growing. The Bible tells us to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Whenever you get to the application portion of Paul's epistles or any of the letters of scripture, it's telling us to grow and to learn and to study and train ourselves. And uh, this is what Jesus led his disciples in as well. He expected them to develop and to grow in their spiritual life. And spiritual disciplines are different. You might call them workouts that we do as as Christians, spiritual workouts. And I want to use this image here of athletics, of sports, to describe our spiritual growth because that is the way that, that Paul often does it. And uh, I, Paul lived at a time where the Olympic Games were were very highly valued as they are today, but in a very special way. I mean, Zach, you've read the Odyssey and the Iliad and things like that, and it, it comes up quite a bit that they, they will just break from war and they'll have a race or they'll they'll uh, do wrestling in honor of somebody who died. And this was part of the culture of the day. Well, it was a big part of, you know, it was a big part of showing and proving that you were, it was what they thought of as a hero, right? It wasn't just a person who was had this military prowess. It was a guy who also could beat you at boxing, which was not just boxing. It was pretty crazy. Yeah, or, they would or, box to death. Like, yeah. That's was, you knew who right. won. And so when, he, when Paul uses those metaphors, I think what he's trying to, he's pointing to something that they would have all known about at the time and saying, hey, they go out there with this level of intensity. And he's kind of saying, and what do they get? They get a few moments of, you know, of uh, the applause from the crowd. They get this, you know, crown out, made out of leaves. And you're you're saying that you're going for something that's of inestimable value, ultimate spiritual value. And you, shouldn't you at least be putting that much effort, right, into right. it? Which is yeah. why he kind of, I think, uses that example. Effort is a good word, and it's not something we should be afraid of as Christians. Right. Uh, you, you were making reference there to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. You want to read those for us? Yeah, so it says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others I myself should be disqualified. Yeah, he's, he's comparing the Christian life to a race or a fight. And Paul wrote that when he was in Corinth. 
And I, I referenced the Olympic Games, but I mean, they were called the Olympic Games because they were held at Olympus, but they were held everywhere. And, and Paul would have observed the Isthmian Games. He was on the, the Isthmus is why it was called that. <laughs> uh, during the time he was there, we know historically that while he was there, they would have held these national games. Wars were stopped in order to have these competitions. <laughs> right. I, it's it's not really total war as we <laughs> we have today, I guess. But uh, Paul is, it seemed to have made an impression on him. And Paul was a guy. Paul enjoyed sports right. as much as the next guy. And uh, he uses this illustration, right? That they exercise all this self-control like athletes do today. And really in any kind of domain, you have to exercise self-control. And what they would get is something called a Stephanos or a Laurel. We still talk about that, winning laurels for a, a championship that you get. And this was a an actual wreath, like not a Christmas wreath, but they would take laurel wreaths or whatever it was, and they would put it on the person's head. You've seen maybe statues of Caesar with laurels on his head. And Paul says, that's great, but that thing's going to fade and die. And then what do you got? You've just got a bunch of dead leaves. And, right. and all you have is the memory. So he's not disparaging that. But like you said, he's saying, if you're able to do that kind of thing, for a laurel, then surely for a spiritual crown. And the Bible talks an awful lot about spiritual crowns in heaven. You can put at least that much effort forward. And it's really astonishing. Let's just, Zach, what's your favorite Olympic event? You watch the Olympics much? I, I do some. Um, Sport, I, uh, summer or winter? What's your favorite? Uh, I'm, I'm a winter Olympics guy, actually. I think most people are. But yeah, well, okay, so I what's your know. favorite event? Uh, I love hockey, but Olympic hockey is not as much fun because it's a lot slower and less physical. Um, I Lately, I love all the, like, you know, the snowboarding, skiing stuff. All my kids mm-hmm. love watching that. The the bobsledding stuff is fun for a, a minute. We watched luge. That's this crazy. Year. And that's that's like, so Those dangerous. People have a death that's, wish. I love it, man. It's it's so cool. And like they're, you know, the guy who was in like fiftieth place was only behind by like a third of a second. Yeah, it's insane. So they basically all tied, but they <laughs> they, right, they right. had to measure it. Did you watch a short track? Remember when Apollo Anton? Yeah, was, that, oh, yeah, that was so cool. Also a crazy. Person. So I remember uh, seeing a documentary or one of those intro things they have before the event and they talk about the floor routines that the gymnasts will do and they say that these routines are so intense and so difficult that that what they do is they practice one piece of it at a time and they master one piece after another and it's not until they are almost ready for the competition like even if i remember oh, wow. correctly a couple of weeks that they put it all together because they have to be in the absolute pinnacle of human condition to perform these floor routines and like a week after the olympics they're they're incapable of doing them again that huh. they're that finely tuned mm-hmm. uh and speaking of finely tuned i also saw a documentary about rush the band rush and, uh, you know, they, they're famous for being these virtuoso musicians and they write these incredible parts. And they're talking about before they go on tour, they have to get together for like a month and practice their own songs so that they can play their own songs that they wrote and that they've been playing for years because they're just so difficult. You have to get to that pinnacle of, of performance. And that's right. what Paul's asking us to do. He's saying we can do at least that for the Lord, right? Yeah, and I, I like that you mentioned the idea of, of crowns. You know, there's like this... Um I think it's like, a, it's, it's, there's nothing the matter with it. I think it's people that want, they think it's a spiritual thing to say, where they say, oh, you know, I'm not motivated by rewards. That's not why I'm following <laughs> Jesus. Like I'm following Jesus for something else. I'll just say, I'll share from what I've found in my spiritual life. The something else that you're talking about turns out to really not be a whole lot when it gets down to it. It's just a feeling, I guess, of closeness to Jesus. But what we've 
I have found in my spiritual life is I feel most close to Jesus when I am most aware of the insane rewards that he wants me to desire and therefore I'm pursuing them the most aggressively and that's why I end up close to Jesus. Why? Because he's put the rewards with himself. He said, hey, I want you to be up here with me because I've got these things for you. And he, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's kind of funny. It's like God made you. He knows what motivates you. He's created you to be a person who desires goals, narrative, mm -hmm. to be part of something bigger than yourself. These are all things that even secular people desire, like Paul's pointing out. He's saying, look, th yeah. they're running around a track <laughs> because they want this glory. He's like, and, th and that's because their soul desires glory. Like, and, and he said, Hey, God made you to desire that. Don't you think you should put that much effort right. into I, these rewards? I think when people say, well, I'm not interested in rewards. I don't know if God rolls his eyes, but I imagine that's <laughs> something that makes him roll his eyes. Yeah. Cause God's the one that set it up. This is right, our right. idea. And in the judgment seat of Christ, which is described in, in first Corinthians three and elsewhere, uh, Paul talks about the Bema seat. You've heard of this. Well, Bema just means judgment seat. But if you look carefully, Paul is not using a judicial metaphor. He's not talking about the judgment seat like a judge in a court. Huh. He's using that metaphor like like these Olympic games mm -hmm. as an athletic metaphor because salvation is not in jeopardy. He says, right, that even those that suffer loss will be saved, but as through fire. He's rewarding us for what has been done in the body, gold, silver, precious stones, receiving crowns from the Lord, it says. That's what happens at these games, that there's a score. You're rewarded for how you do, and that's right. what Paul uses. So it's like the Lord is, is compared the Christian life to an athletic competition, to a track meet. And he says, and at the end, there's going to be prizes. And if someone goes out there and goes, Oh, I don't need any prizes. It's like, but you're in a track meet. Right. Like, don't you want to succeed to win? And Paul, this, he'll say later that this kind of effort is maturity in Christ. He mm. says, if you don't get this, don't worry. God will show you some other time. That's in Philippians where he talk about straining forward towards the goal. And yes, we, you know, the love of the game, right? But you might say nobody loved the game more than Michael Jordan or Kobe Bryant, right? But they were... They wanted to win above everything else. They wanted to win because that was the ultimate example of the love of the game. And Paul says, run that you may obtain it. So what we're really circling around here is there can be an attitude that effort in the Christian life is a bad thing. Mm. Have you come across that? Yes. And, or yeah. even in yourself kind of felt that you shouldn't have to try so hard sometimes? I have. I think it's a, especially a struggle if maybe you tend, you know, people can tend to be more of a legalistic person or more of a, like a, a, a loose, um, what's the other word that I'm going for? Like licentious is not the right word, but you, you don't, you're, you're less concerned with permissive, morals. Yeah. Maybe? Permissive is a good word. So you can have that tendency in your personality, right? If you tend to be more legalistic and you're trying to walk out of that and accept God's grace, Afterwards, you can kind of feel like, oh, well, I don't want to, I don't want to be talking about effort and work because that's legalistic. But the yeah. problem is that those things are very different, right? And it's about the direction. Legalistic effort and work is I'm have to be the boss of these things and I've got to load these extra weights on myself so that I am, you know, know I'm good enough for the Lord. Th this, what we're talking about, this is looking towards the Lord and striving not in our own flesh, but towards him saying, huh, look at that reward. I would love to have that. What do I need to do to have that? And so not all work, not all striving is wrong, obviously, because Paul's commanding no, us, right? No, not at all. I mean, this is the first thing that we have to acknowledge. And we're going to look at the theology of this in just a second because that matters. But at the very least, I mean, Paul says it. <laughs> the right, Bible right. says yeah. it, right? Yeah. Other places, he says, I, I press on towards the upward call of God. Look how he says, you know, 
Only one receives the prize, so run that you may obtain it. Paul Paul basically says, if only one person is going to get into heaven, you better believe it's going to be me. <laughs> now, this is Paul who believes in justification by right, faith. Right. But he says elsewhere in 1 Timothy 4, he says, train yourself for godliness. For mm. while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and the life to come. Paul, you know, I've heard that taught two ways. I've heard it taught, first of all, this is why Paul tells us we need to go to the gym. That's not what he's saying. I've also heard right. it said, this is why Paul is teaching us that we shouldn't go to the gym. And that's neither one is, is getting the point of that. Paul's like, you, we understand the value of exercise. Well, how much more is mm-hmm. the exercise, the training of the spirit? So if you can't say that you are training yourself spiritually, then you you are not being obedient to the scriptures. And I think most people get this naturally, but I think if we have a, I, I won't say conscience, but if we have an overinflated view of, of that everything has to be by faith alone and no works, that we can miss the fact that faith is is lived out through works. It's kind of the difference here between justification and sanctification, isn't it? I think it's, it's a good point, is a lot of times people who are struggling with their, maybe their assurance of salvation and need to work on that with the Lord, they look at things that are really about sanctification and they confuse what the Bible is saying about sanctification as about their justification. Why don't you explain the difference real quick? For so those that don't like, know, what's the difference? let's say, you know, you're, you're, you're struggling in your spirit with like, I don't know if I'm really saved. And then Paul says, well, you need to work hard and run to receive a prize. And in your mind, you're like, so Paul's saying that if I don't work hard, I'm not saved. That's not what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, hey, you saved people. You need to work hard and run towards the prize of sanctification, towards the prize of maturity, the prize of 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 all these fruits that you want to bear. He's never suggesting that. And if you don't, you're not going to be saved. You're not going to make it. Right. Yeah. Justification is the initial moment of salvation. Right. You are declared righteous when you put your faith in Jesus. It's tied closely to baptism. It's it's that first moment when you are saved. Right. You're born again. Maybe right. you got the date written down in your Bible. You are justified. You're saved. But there is also an ongoing present work of the Spirit called sanctification. Right. If justification is being declared righteous, sanctification is being made righteous. Mm-hmm. The Holy Spirit is at work in your heart to conform you to the image of Christ, to make you look more like Jesus. And now we are not saved by works, but we are to allow our works to come into play to partner with the Holy Spirit in sanctification. And the descriptions we give in the Bible of this are put forth some effort, right? right? Get after it. And I think one of the reasons why it's so dangerous for us to start to act as if the idea of effort or work are somehow opposed to spiritual things. I'm, I'm, I'm trying, I've been trying to think about this for a long time because I've noticed this in a lot of areas. What ends up happening is it's so clearly a tool of the enemy because the only area in our life where we won't put forth that effort and work is, is in things of the Lord. Right. We'll tell our, we won't give ourselves, yeah, do you see what I'm saying? That's exactly we won't right. give ourselves the permission to work hard at work or, or I'm sorry. We won't give ourselves the permission to work hard at church, to work hard in ministry, to work hard in reading the Bible because we feel some feeling of, we no, shouldn't no, no, that's, have to, that's right? legalism. That's, uh, it has I'm to not, be grace. I'm not feeling it. It has to be grace. But those same people would not apply that logic to their job, I, oh, I hope, or their family or anything because they'd be fired and, and have problems at home <laughs> real quick, right? Yeah. So, so what ends up happening is we become these very empty, stale, dry Christians walking around putting so much more effort into and receiving so much for f- fulfillment out of everything but the things of the Lord. Why? Well, yeah. because in all these other areas, we're doing work and receiving fruit. That just makes sense, right? And that's especially true for men, I think, because yes. men have this drive to want to 
get out and conquer and win and strive and tell me what to do. And I, I think well-meaning Christians, and I, I say well-meaning, not disparaging them at yeah, all. Yeah, no, no, no. I think a well-meaning Christian, when you say, well, I'm, I'm really having a hard time, you know, uh, overcoming my sin. What, what do I do? And they say, well, listen, man, you don't have to overcome your sin. Jesus is going to overcome mm. your sin. You just got to let God do what God's going to do. That is true, but it's not helpful in the moment. It's a good theological truth, but it's not a good discipleship lesson. Hmm. When what you ought to tell that guy is, I'm having a hard time con- controlling myself. Well, Jesus said, if your right hand causes you to sin, chop it off and, and cast it from you. He's like, are you putting forth effort to conquer your body and be in self-control? Well, I want Jesus to be in control, not me. But the fruit of the Spirit is what kind of control, Zachary? It's action. It's self-control, self-control. Right? right? It's right, Galatians, right? right? Yeah. Self-control. It's not passive, right? God does not... Like possess you and then walk you around like a zombie. The Lord awakens you. He mm-hmm. enlivens your conscience and empowers your spirit and gives you the the safety net of grace to fall back on. And so, where like where I think this really hits the road is I see a lot of Christians who they struggle with anxiety or depression or just feeling disconnected. Like and they tell me it's like, well, I, I've got my life and these things that I want to do, but then in terms of things of the Lord, I know I should feel more excited. I know I should feel more passionate, but I'm just not feeling that and what i keep telling people is look if you're not going to allow yourself to to open up this box that god's given you of all of your passions and drives and desires that he wants to be pointed at him and at things of the lord and if you're not going to allow yourself to touch those things and to use those tools he's giving you in that way then you shouldn't be surprised when it's very fun for you to pursue your hobbies very fun for you to work hard at your job very awesome to spend a lot of time doing frivolous things even because you're using all these tools that God gave you in, in this other way. And they're going to produce some effect, right? Because God gave yeah. them to you. And yet what they're really for, and not, not that you should stop working hard or stop being with your family, but the ultimate use of them, like Paul is saying in this passage is, hey, man, you ran really hard in that race. Now, how hard are you going to run for Jesus? Yeah, right. right. It's, it's going to produce These things are of some value, exactly. right? But godliness is of more value. Right. So there's a story, there's a parable that Jesus tells in Luke 16 about the shrewd steward. I love this parable because it was... You know, a lot of things that Jesus said were offensive at the time, and you have to explain them to people about why this was. This one is still offensive. (laughs) Where he talks about that there was a guy about to get fired from his job because he had been mismanaging his master's money. It's like a Wall Street story. So the guy said, he said, you you close out the books today and bring them to me. So what this guy did is he went to all of his master's debtors, and he he changed how much they owed the master in the books. (laughs) And what he said is, I'm already getting fired. I might as well make friends with some of these other people so that maybe they'll hire me. And it's, it's crooked and it's wrong and he shouldn't have done it. But Jesus says the master was impressed by the guy's shrewdness because he's like, where was all this when you were supposed to be taking care <laughs> right. of my books, right? So what Jesus says is if the sons of darkness know how to use shrewdness and effort and cleverness for the 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 meat that will perish, right? For the for the riches that will not last, is why can't the sons of light do the same thing for the the treasure that'll last forever? And so this is exactly what the point is here with spiritual disciplines is mm. you, you've got to take that same effort that you apply towards exercise yep. or your creativity or your job or even your, your hobbies with your kids. I mean, th- think about this. What do you do? I, I'm going to steal an illustration from Tony Evans here <laughs> because he, he just does it so well. He's the best illustrations, that guy. 
but he talks about football on Sunday mornings. He's like, everybody shows up mm-hmm. for football on Sunday mornings. They, they get in the car, they sit through traffic, they go to the game. The actual action of the football game only amounts to a couple minutes. Right. And then you come home, you get in the car, you turn on the radio and you listen to analysis of the game. You go home and you watch the highlights. The next day, you're reading all the articles about what happened. You're checking your fantasy team. You're projecting what's going to happen next week. You're talking about it with all your buddies. You're learning a little bit more about football. You might even watch the game again. And then you come back on Sunday and you do it again. You're like, look at all the time and effort you're putting in to something that doesn't even really concern you at the end of the day. Right. So it's like, can't you do a little bit of that for the Lord with your spiritual life? Isn't that the, the most important thing? Or you know, I got to get to the gym. I don't really like working out, but I, I need to because I'm going to get fat. Man, how much more so for your spiritual life, yeah. right? That The Holy Spirit is kind of like your coach. He's like, if you if you don't get into the spiritual gym and work your spirit, it's going to get flabby. It's going to get soft. You're going to fall to temptation and you're going to be intimidated to share your faith. So that we, we can, I mean, speak for a minute, Zach. I mean, legalism is a real thing. You can fall into that, oh, right? We 100%. don't want to diminish that possibility. A hundred percent. But I think the difference to me, and, and this is, like I said, as a person who I've, I've learned and walked through both things with the Lord. To me, the difference is legalism comes to me and says, because you didn't read your Bible this morning, God is upset with you, right? <laughs> That's not true. <laughs> or you, you may be a little less saved this yeah, afternoon that, than right. you were this morning. It's the voice of condemnation. It's Satan trying to find, it's just like Satan, you know, look at the high priest. He's got these these d- dirty garments on, right? And the re- the reality is you say to that, you say, yeah, no, that's that's right. I should have done that. I've I, That's a sin of omission, you know. But it doesn't change my standing with Jesus. Jesus loves me. Jesus is pleased with me because of his righteousness, not mine, right? However, now here's the however. Good godly effort, when I have when I have been in the word and it's been, man, it's been going good. I'm just so excited. I'm actually getting something out of it. I'm so excited. I get to this point. And you know, I'll be honest, it takes a week or two weeks of in consistent time in the word to reach that point where I'm really enjoying that, right? Because after a while, if, especially if you've been out for a while, you got to break through that, that little skim of ice over your heart. That's kind of like, ah, oh, okay, I got to do this. Once you get or to that, that point, film over your coffee by the yeah, afternoon. Yeah, it's kind of mm, it's a little <laughs> nasty. Once you get to that point where, man, I'm just, this is so sweet. And I'm, I'm learning, I'm hearing the Lord's voice. And then you miss a day. It's yeah. not the voice of legalism. You. It's not the voice of legalism that says, oh man, I missed, I, man, I missed out. I, I got, I'm going to get back tomorrow. Here's my plan for not having that happen again. Cause man, that I missed out. That's not legalism. That's actually the Holy Spirit reminding you and calling you back to what you should be doing. And you'll know because the, the voice, even if you're disappointed in yourself, the voice will be like, yeah, but I, I could try again tomorrow. Here's my new plan to to do this tomorrow. It's, it should be excitement, right? Not, yeah, this, not this is even condemnation. True. This is even true in athletics. Like if you miss 100%. a day going to the gym, you feel really bad about yourself. Yeah. But if you then say, I guess I'm never going back there again. Right. It's foolish. <laughs> right. Right. And that's something you have to learn. It's like, well, I'll just do this quick 30-day program and then I'll be set for life. It's like, it doesn't work like that, bro. It's a yep. lifelong thing, daily right. thing. And that's, it's the same thing. So the difference between legalism and and true spiritual discipline, legalism says if you don't do this, you're not saved. Salvation mm-hmm. is only by the grace of God. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm a Protestant, right? <laughs> I grew up and hearing that the monks were wrong and the monks were bad and the monks were full of legalism mm-hmm. and these ascetic Christians. And hey, there's a lot of, a lot of important truth to that. And in, I think that institution needed to die. But you hear that and you go, okay, surely then you have a better plan. You have a better way to control right. your flesh than Anthony who walked around with a hair shirt. Yeah, it's kind of weird. Yeah. 
but what are you doing to make sure that you are able to resist suffering and you're able to resist temptation? I think it's important to distinguish too, when we look at those things and we see the ridiculousness that came after, right? Where pretty soon it was just all about, it's just like the law. It was all about, well, I do this thing. John Stylites, I'm going to sit on top of a pillar for the rest of my life. Or just the silliness (laughs) of like, oh, I'm doing this thing so that I look holy so that then I can go and actually break God's commandments, right? That's obviously silly. But if you go read, you know, the Benedictine rule, and you read it and you hear the heart behind it, you say, well, the, the I should have that heart to serve God. Am I going to go live in, in, you know, in singleness, in a, in a house somewhere with a bunch of other people? No, I don't think that's the best way to do it, but, but I ought to but have that heart. But what is your way? So what's right. your answer? I ought right? to have that heart because the heart is, well, how could we best live our lives for God? Yeah. What changes could we make to our life? Even if we look weird, even if we even if we seem different from other people, even if it Im- infringes on our normal rhythm of life, would it help to serve God? Yeah. And if I you, think the question is go good. If you go back and read the Benedictine rule, um, this is Benedict, who is the, uh, the founder of the Benedictine monks. Um, you read at the beginning, he has a whole thing where he very, very plainly clarifies mm-hmm. This is not a means of salvation. Right. This is our, meaning the community, this is our way of controlling our flesh, not because we're better than everybody else, but mm-hmm. because we are more prone to temptation right. than everybody else. Now, that attitude was lost yeah, in time. Very and, quickly. But, <laughs> but for him, I mean, that he was a he was a good brother in the Lord. And uh, he, you know, also a lot of interesting miracle stories about him for those of you that are, that are charismatic like we are. But he also used to do things like this. Here's one more Benedict story before we move on. But uh, when he w- encountered uh, Muslims for the first time, he was impressed that the, the usual Christian tradition had been to pray three times a day like Daniel. And the Muslims prayed five times a day. And he's like, you know what? If a Muslim can pray to his false God five times a day, <laughs> you better believe I can pray to God. So that's why the Benedictines pray five times a day. Is kind of like Paul is saying, if they can do that to attain a perishable crown, then man, you better believe right. I'm going to do at least that much. And let me, they let can me, do a 40 day fast. We can do a 90 day fast or, you know, whatever. And let you. me just say, as a, like you said, we're Protestants. So when we hear, oh, you have to pray five times a day, what, what happens in our heart? We say, that, false, fake legalism, right? That's, that's the reaction that comes to us. Let me ask you this. When, but when was the last time that you prayed three times a day? Yeah. Or period. Or, 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 yeah, or, or <laughs> did you pray yesterday? I'm asking myself that question. Did I pray yesterday? So would I would I have a better prayer life if I prayed five times a day? I, I think so, right? By definition, yeah. right? So, so rather than reacting and saying, no, that way of doing it is bad. Let's ask ourselves, like you said, okay, but what's my plan? What is the Lord telling me in my life? Not a legalistic rule to give to others. For me, how could I walk better with the Lord? Yeah. And so what we're really going to be giving here, guys, is is a kind of like a workout plan. And you know, yeah, I've, I've known right. a lot of fat out of shape people that criticize different diets and workout methods. <laughs> and yeah. you know, people say, "Well, this one really worked for me." Is like, any diet and exercise will work for you if you're doing nothing. Right. Right? If you're if you're in real good shape and you're, you know, winning races and you you could beat up anybody in the street, I care what you think about, you know, the rules. Or people say, "Well, I got to make it my own." What you need to do first is to follow someone else's method. Mm-hmm. Like that's the that's a good way to go. Rather than trying to make it your own. So that's what we're going to do is we're going to be giving a list today. But there's a there's an opposite tendency that I want to discuss here before we we're not going to get too deep into the list today. We wanted to kind of overview uh, what we're talking about. So th- there's first that trepidation that I, if I do too much that I'm somehow in sin. Well, we know that's not right because the Bible tells us to for go sure. for it, right? We also avoid 
legalism and the trap of legalism. And, and you can fall into that, right? If you say, yep. if you don't pray five times a day, you're not as saved as me. Yeah, that's legalism. Throw mm -hmm. that out the window, right? right? And sometimes we have to drop even helpful practices in the church because they've become a point of legalism for us. But there's a there's another way, and I have tended to fall into this one more often. And I, I like to call this hair Christianity, H-A-R-E, hair Christianity. <laughs> Talking about the fable of the tortoise and the hare. Right, slow and steady wins the race. The hare would rush ahead, but then he would stop and he would play or he would sleep. And and there's a lesson we got to learn from that, which is we can rush ahead in our Christian life and push, 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 and I'm never gonna sin again. And then we crash and we burn and we feel really bad about ourselves. That's not a healthy way to go about your spiritual discipline. To to say I'm gonna rush ahead, I'm gonna have amazing spiritual moments. I'm gonna try to maintain that spiritual high. I mean, we were we were youth ministers, Zach. I mean, every year you go off to every summer time. camp, right? The kids would feel really, and you need those moments. You need high high moments. But uh, one of the difficulties we had to teach them was you can't live up here. You can't stand the Mount of Transfiguration. You got to go down into the valley and cast the demon out of the young boy, right? Yeah. So that's that's difficult for them. Yeah. So for all of us, right? Well, and I think the difference is it's. The two things that are, are fighting around here, they're, they're both kind of emotional things, right? A legalist says, I have to feel righteous before the Lord. And so the way I'm going to feel righteous is check my list. Tick, 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 tick. There. Now I feel good. And the reality is, well, what did Jesus say constantly to the Pharisees? You feel great, but you're ugly inside. <laughs> it does, it's not doing anything, right? And 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 so we, for a legalist, you've got to let go of your desire to feel righteous and embrace what God has said by faith about who you are, right? And then you can start making progress. For a person who's into this other way of being emotional, what's happening is I've got to feel, oh, I've got to feel these intense emotions. I've got to feel this like wonderful, you know, eye-opening moment with the Lord. And if, and the problem is like every day. And if I don't, right. it wasn't a good day. And if I don't feel that, well, and what the temptation is, if I don't feel that, ah, uh, I don't feel like reading my Bible today. Well, why? Well, I just, I just, I just don't feel it, you know? And it's like, right, but man, you know, like you, you, you got to stay on a sustainable plane where you are walking forward, making progress. And sometimes you're going to be up here. You can't see me, but my, my hand is up here now. Sometimes you're <laughs> going to be up here. These intense moments are happening and that's great. And other times you're going to be down here and it's going to be hard and rough, but you yep. know what? No and matter that's what, normal. it is normal. It's totally and I normal. think the tendency of a person who has this other issue is, they, when they get down here, they say, oh, this is not normal. Something must be broken. I must have done something wrong. This can't be okay. So I've got to figure out what's going on to get back to the high height, the the, the mountaintop experience. And the yeah. reality is the Lord might be saying, you know what? I want you to keep stumbling forward, making the progress you can. And so in both cases, I think sometimes we've got to let go of our own emotional feeling about what the Lord has said or what the circumstances we're in and hold on by faith to, well, but you know what? The Lord told me that if I pray and seek his face, that he wants to meet me. Yeah, that's, period. A, that's a big point that Oswald Chambers makes is that it's it's in the day-to-day, -day, the, the mm. banal and the mundane. That's where Christian discipleship is lived out. He, he's like, you, you've got to live your life that I'm going to do what Christ says out of obedience. I'm going to be going through all my spiritual disciplines and trusting that I, there will be days where I have a transcendent experience with the Lord. And there'll be worship services where we're on the floor weeping and crying right. and prayer meetings where we've got our nose in the carpet and, you know, you're opening up the Bible and it's just, oh man, I've never seen anything like this. And there'll be other days where you just do good work. You pray and you don't feel much. You go to right. church and you kind of just go home. 
There's going to be days where you sing because you believe it, but you're not really feeling much. Like that, that's, that's the Christian life. And the problem is when you set yourself up as a hair Christian. Mm-hmm. So if, if you're like me and you have a couple of days or weeks like that, you think something's wrong. Nothing right. is wrong. But you think, okay, I've got to, I've got to up the ante. I got to get back to how I feel at the, at the men's retreat. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm going to read my Bible, you know, 25 chapters a day. I'm going to pray an hour in the morning, an hour in the afternoon. And uh, I'm going to share the gospel with 10 people a day. And then maybe you last for a couple days. But then you have one day where you don't you don't hit your target and you repent in sackcloth and ashes. But then you realize, I can't maintain this. You crash and now you feel like I've lost everything right. because you're, you're expecting yourself to hold to this unhealthy standard of Christian maturity. As, as Paul does, we can compare this to, again, athletics and sports Mm -hmm. if you've been out of the out of shape for two or three years say i'm gonna go back i'm gonna go to the gym five times a day i'm gonna start with a 300 pound deadlift and (laughs) a 500 pound squat i'm gonna run for two hours and you yeah you'll hurt yourself right and even if you can do it one day you'll wake up the next day or really it's usually the day after the day (laughs) after right it's it's the the two-day delay oh man now i can't i can't stand up and my knees hurt or something pops or something breaks and now you can't exercise you got to elevate your foot and you know you're you're you feel terrible what have i done well because that's not how we do this you're supposed to be disciplined and do a little every day and do enough that you have enough left in the tank to to go tomorrow you Mm -hmm. know if you ever watched uh, Pumping Iron with Arnold Schwarzenegger, man, that'll rev you up to go lift weights. And you want to see veins popping out of your chest and you want to get in there. But you can't do that today. Right. You can't do this. Even he can't do that most of the time. It's when he's getting to the, you know, ready for the competition or for the shape. And so, you know, I, just my own personal testimony, when I was doing this, I fell into a serious period of anxiety. Mm. Not like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm stressed out because I have a test tomorrow. Like, seriously, like fear and anxiety and panic attacks because I was trying to live like a hare, realizing I was not a hare and feeling like I had lost my salvation. Mm. And God had to lead me out of that. Yeah. We, you know, that's why one reason among many, I think revivals in the church don't last. We have to learn to live in the day to day. Well, and I, I love that you made that point of like, it, you, it's about the consistent doing of the thing, regardless of our feelings. You brought up Arnie, so I can bring up my own <laughs> figure that is inspirational to me. So yeah. there's a guy named Jocko Willink, who's an ex-Navy SEAL, and he talks a lot about ideas like this. He's not a believer, but he has he's trying to help people with these ideas of how to work hard and things. And a concept that he talks about constantly is discipline equals freedom. And I think that's very applicable to the Christian life in a lot of ways. What does he mean by that? He says, look, he says, you think you're free by not being disciplined. But in reality, when you are, when you need to now exert yourself, you can't because you're not strong. When you need to stick with something, you can't because you haven't built the habit. He said, when you're disciplined, it looks from the outside like you're not free. But the reality is now at any moment, you can do the thing you're called on to do because you've worked, you've, you're ready at all times. And he said, that's, that's what freedom is, right? And I think about spiritually. Sometimes we're going to be called to be ready for a mountaintop experience, but you can't do that if you're down on the floor having this, you know, bottom out experience because you had a normal experience of not, <laughs> not being emotionally ready, right? Yeah, you can apply that to marriage. I yeah. mean, when you first meet somebody, you know, it's it's fun being in love. Like, it's fun those yeah. first. You're, you know, is she gonna text me back? And you don't want to <laughs> fall asleep because you don't want her to text back. And if I fall asleep and she texts and I don't text back, she'll think that I'm upset. Like, I mean, that's that's fun. Everybody likes that when you have a crush on somebody. But you reach a point in love where you no longer really have a crush on somebody, mm. and you have to make the determination: Are we gonna stay together or aren't we? 
And that's not to say that you don't love the person, but I mean, the, the height of emotion comes and goes, right? You know, when you have a couple kids and now you're in the eighth trimester of another pregnancy, like you're not feeling like you felt when you first dated each other, you stick together, you keep going, you abide with one another, right? I mean, it would be exhausting to try to maintain butterflies over 50 years of marriage. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, exhausting. It wouldn't be fun. You know, my wife and I will kind of look back and we're like, man, that was great, but I don't know if I want to do that again. This is better. Like this kind of abiding relationship where we're still delighting in one another, but it looks different. I mean, yeah. You know, well, and I we think that go ahead. that thing you said where you said it, you, the mistake that a lot of people make, like you said, if you're a tortoise and a hair person in your marriage, let's just use that application. When things, when you don't have those feelings, you stop the disciplines of marriage because mm-hmm. you say, ah, I'm not really feeling it. So guess I'm, not I'm not gonna... in love anymore. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and you hear people say, I guess I'm not in love anymore. And it's like, no man, now is the time when you discipline yourself so that when you have pushed through this difficult season or when that, you know, now we're not having a hard week anymore. Now you've continued to do what's right. So that then as those feelings come back and the opportunity is, it brings itself up and the kids are grown, you actually still have a functional marriage now, right? Yes. Yeah. And the feelings is not like that you are dead inside, No. you know, but you're, you're not, you're not, you don't live at the heights of emotion. Right. You know, I, I have found now that I can. I'm at, hopefully I think I'm at a point of maturity where I can recognize when I'm happy. I'm like, oh, not not like content <laughs> yeah. and satiated and fine. I mean, you know, I'm a pretty, you know, cheerful person. But I'm always like, wow, I feel really happy. Like um, I wrote a song for my son when he was a baby and I he had never heard us. Oh, and I played it for him. And my little little seven-year-old boy started tearing up and gave me this big old, I love you, daddy. I love you so much. And he just couldn't believe that I wrote a song for him. And he was really excited. And man, I just felt like this these happy little chills running up my right. back. I'm like, wow, I'm happy right now. And I, as I noticed that, and I started to look for it afterwards, you know, the, the Dolphins won a great comeback game. And um, I couldn't, I was, again, I was happy in that moment. And I realized myself, so happiness is great, but you don't live at that height of emotion. Mm. You live at just kind of normal. And it's the same thing with your Christian life. We live life in normal. And if you can't, you're going to be in trouble. So right. that this is why we have spiritual disciplines. First, uh, sorry, Philippians 2, 12 through 13. It says, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work it out, right? Work out your salvation. Hmm. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. That's a great verse. And Andrew Murray has a whole book written on this. But work out your salvation, for it is God who works in you. As you put forth effort in the Christian life, it is God who comes alongside and comes behind you, putting those desires and putting that drive within you. So we're not obsessed with big moments. We are tortoise Christians. We we. We cultivate and activate these day-to-day disciplines to shape us as Christians. Zach, walking with Jesus, dare we say it, can be boring at times. Is <laughs> yeah. that true? Um, Just like everything else, it's worthwhile it's, in life. There are boring days. I think it's true, and and I, I think I would almost be a little bit concerned if it's never boring because now you're trying to manufacture, like you said, these feelings because you're afraid of what happens if it just, if one day isn't a perfect day, right? No, I think there are boring days. I think the reality is though, just like you said, just like anything else, the hard work and the slog and the discipline is what prepares you for the moments that are completely just transcendent, right? Yeah. And I also think, what here's, here's what I think, you remember when we said it was really dangerous to only apply those that effort, that drive, that intensity outside of your life? 
Here's why. If you only apply that amount of effort and slog and willingness to just embrace the terrible, boring, lame parts of something to get what you, you think is worth it to your job, then guess what part of your life will be most developed, most yeah. successful, most fulfilling? It'll be your job because you put the, the time in over there, right? Now, here's the thing. If you put all that time over into your Christian walk. Yeah. And, and let me just say before you get on to that, you spend most of your time at work bored. Yeah, right. Because yes. it's, it's stuff that's <laughs> got to be done, but that doesn't mean you don't enjoy your job or love it. And it certainly doesn't mean you're about to quit. Right. And, so and you got to apply that to, so, as you're saying, your spiritual. So life. I'd say if you're really struggling with your spiritual life being boring, my advice. I know this is going to be advice you might not want, but my advice is like keep going, because yeah, keep going. It, the 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 thing to do here is not to stop or scale back. It's to say, okay, I must be in a place of doing. What do we say? We say spiritual deadlifts, right? I. Yeah. It is time for spiritual deadlifts, so that at some point. I am ready for the next exciting thing that's going to come along, right? Yeah. And most of the days in the Bible are boring because you don't read about them, right? <laughs> right. Like the book of Acts, I mean, you it's it covers a period of years. Right. But a you don't read time. about everything that happened. I mean, even John says, I can't write down everything that Jesus did. Right. But a lot of what they did was just data, you know, walking around, you know, somebody's sandal breaks and there's a day where, you know, they're, they're getting rocks in their shoes and they got to build a campfire and they've got to find a place to sleep. And what are we going to eat today? And this is not to say that it is not, you know, inexpressible joy and right at the father's right hands are pleasures forevermore. That's all true. Right. But it is, it is in this daily life that you find that joy, right? Mm. It's, it's, it's a, it's a slog. It's every day going through this and you, the more you grow, the more you come to appreciate the value of that. That you don't, you're not under pressure to maintain these big moments. Uh, here's another another sports metaphor here. Uh, I started doing triathlons a couple years ago, and that's swimming, biking, and running. Swimming, exercise, swimming is the most boring thing. <laughs> it is so boring because you're just swimming back and forth in the pool. It's the same thing. It's the same motion. You're not even really going anywhere. Like on the bike, at least you have to dodge pedestrians and stuff <laughs> like that. And uh, you know, it's. It's incredibly boring, and I have such a hard time getting my butt in the pool sometimes. Because once you're there, you're going to do it. But I'll tell you what, I love race day. Race day for the triathlon is so much fun. There's all of this like pageantry, and they do these big you know, events. And that I love that swim. Because you're you're you see yourself passing people, you're going somewhere, and you can. Yeah. There's there's a great feeling when you get halfway across. You're like, oh, I can do it. I'm actually going to be able to get through the water today. Mm -hmm. And then you start thinking about the next one. That's a great feeling. But you don't get that unless you're willing to put that boring time in the pool. Yep. And you know, Jesus was 30 years old when he began his ministry, and Luke tells us that he grew as a young man. He grew in wisdom and mm -hmm. in maturity and in favor with God and man. Right. And Jesus was an incredibly disciplined man himself. Luke five. It tells us that even at the height and the peak of his ministry, he would often withdraw to desolate places and pray. Nobody was more busy in ministry than Jesus. And nobody had a closer connection with the Father than Jesus, right? I and the Father are one. But he still, in his humanity, needed to go and pray. Well, and I mean, at, if Jesus had to do it, Zach, surely well, we need to do this. And he's giving us an example, right? Even look at, I don't think I ever even noticed it until we, we, we it's written out on the page in front of me, but he's got 30 years of life where he's being prepared for three years of ministry. Mm -hmm. This is Jesus, right? This is the incarnate son of God. And he's he's choosing a 10 to one ratio in his life between preparation 
and and his actual ministry. Ooh, we could make something legalistic out of that. We sure could, but um, <laughs> we're not gonna. But here's here's the I thing like we that can, though. I like that that proportion. I mean, there's there's something to be said for that, right? right? And isn't th- that bears out in other areas of your life, right? You spend so much time training for one race day. Olympic people can spend they they spend twenty years sometimes, and it's yeah. really all coming down to and, this and one. Some thing. of these guys, their event lasts like five seconds, right? Like if you're just doing the vault or you're doing the the ski high jump it's all to prepare it's over like that yeah for this your whole life training for those five seconds but you know they say that it's and this is you know really common coaches or a military thing that everybody says but it's true you don't rise to the occasion to the moment you fall back to the level of your training that's That's why you do it over and over again that's why you read your bible over and over again is so that in the moment when someone calls you and says man i've got this situation in my life what do i do you in that moment you can't go read your bible for 10 years Right. <laughs> right. This kind now, of devil only comes out by prayer and fasting. Yeah, well, now, when you're face to face with one, you ain't got time to fast. Exactly. Brother. <laughs> now you need to have read your Bible for 10 years at this moment. And the Lord is using all these things that he's built in you for this moment that you don't know it's coming. You don't know when that's going to happen. Right. Hey, well, I've hit this crisis point in my life and everything's breaking apart. Well, now you need to have prayed for five years. Yes. Right. But and, and so that's why we keep up these things is not it's not out of legalism. It's out of knowing that we're on a spiritual battlefield and you train because, you know, that in yeah. a battlefield situation, it all has to work. Even when chaos is happening, nothing's going right. Half of the people we need are gone. It still needs to work. And the same thing is true with your spiritual life. Yeah. And to bring the sovereignty of God back into this, especially for those of you that maybe you feel that we're overemphasizing mm. the the effort part, although that's the subject of this talk. Another day <laughs> right. we'll talk about the sovereignty side, right? But the sovereignty of God is over the end results. The sovereignty of God is over the big moments. It's over the completion of it. Mm-hmm. It's up to you to worry about the rhythm of your daily life, your practices, your your regimen. And, th- you know, they, they say you practice hard and the wins will come. Like it's, you can't say, okay, how are we going to win this game? Yeah, you have a strategy, but ultimately the strategy comes down to, have you practiced? You know, if you, if you're going to win this basketball game, if you have not conditioned yourself, they're Mm going to run you ragged. It doesn't matter how good your game plan is. Right. So that's why a coach doesn't just come up with strategy. The coach also trains the team. And, and so this is something that, you know, we, we, it's good to set goals in your life. It's good to do that, right. To have a target that you're shooting for, but spiritual life is a little different because that you you can set targets to hit, but that's not really the best way to do it. The best thing is what are called process goals. And what this is, is I'm not setting a goal to accomplish a specific thing. Mm. I'm setting a goal to add this process into my life. And success is not, oh good, I did a hundred spiritual push-ups and now I, I won the <laughs> I won the spiritual Olympics. I mean, unless you want to be like Paul, Paul's ultimate goal was to attain the resurrection from the dead, right? That's a good goal for your life. Is, but you're never going to see what that is until the very end. So you have to implement processes. And we're meeting our spiritual goals when we're hitting these targets, whatever they might be. And ultimately, the reason these work, and this will be our last point before we start giving through this list here, is because the things that you immerse yourself in will change you. Mm-hmm. Paul told Timothy to give yourself to these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Mm-hmm. Right, can people notice your progress? Are you immersing yourself in these things? I mean, Zach, have you have you noticed that it's very easy to tell what somebody's when somebody's getting really into anime? <laughs> I was for, actually for example. It's so funny that you mentioned that. I was actually just about to use this as an example of this. You know what this is like, and I'll tell you why you know what this is like. You have discovered a new hobby. 
Let's say, let, let's say, you know, use a super simple example. You've discovered a new type of video game that you didn't know existed. Maybe you like video games, but you didn't know that this kind of video game existed. And for the next two weeks, I can tell you exactly what's going to happen in your life. You will subscribe to about 10 YouTube channels, Yes. right? Yes. You will, you will find new, a new world that didn't, you didn't know exists on YouTube. You're going to follow some people on Twitter. You're going to start reading all of this stuff about this new th thing. This, I didn't even know this was here. And you're going to learn. And then you're going to start playing this one game. And then you're going to get really good at that game specifically. And then there's going to be five more YouTube channels you're going to need because these talk about this specifically and they break it all down. And you're going to then now you start posting on the subreddit. <laughs> yep. Now you're on the Reddit and, and now you're and now you have questions about, OK, well, when are they releasing the next content, though, for this thing? Right. And what is that going to look like? How is that going to change my experience? And now you're you're it's it's lunch break at work and you're thinking about, well, what next build am I going to try? And, and you and you get bothered because. Nobody else seems to want to talk about exactly. World War Two. I've been reading five <laughs> books about it. Right. And nobody wants to talk about the naval war in the in the East or whatever it happens. Like you, you can tell when somebody gets really into something when you immerse yourself in it. That's why you know one of these days your your friend at school will show up and she's wearing cat ears for some reason. Like oh, somebody's been going home and, right. and binging Crunchyroll. Like Man. she's been immersing herself and now thinks this is what normal people do. Right. And, and this is where whatever you immerse yourself in, that's what you're going to. That's what you're going to produce in your life, whether it's politics, right? If mm -hmm. if all someone can talk about is the political situation, it's like, well, this is the most important thing. It's, it's not, but you've made it the most important thing in your life and by immersing yourself in let it. Let me say this because I've heard this a lot. I'm not even specifically saying here the case we're not making is, and therefore you've got to stop doing everything and wear a hair shirt and only read your Bible, right? That's <laughs> no, number one. that's not the point. Because you can't keep that up and then you're going to be sad and, and we've that's talked about hair that. That's hair Christianity. H -A -R -E. Right. H-A-R-E. That's running like a hair. What we're saying is, hey, isn't it interesting that God made you to be the kind of person that gets excited about things? Right. Yeah. First of all. Right. Secondly. OK. Now take all of take all of your really good skills at finding new YouTube channels. Take all of your passion and your excitement about new things. And I want you to learn to apply that consistently and daily to God and his word as well. Right. Yes. That's, because that's exactly right. Because that's exactly what we're talking about. A lot of times I will find the, the more excited you get about those things. It's sometimes because there's a void in your life that, you know, is there and you're trying to fill it with something that feels transcendent and exciting and fascinating. And the answer is to say, hey, the primary place you should go for those things is the Lord. And yes. disciplines are the process. Take this drive. Right. And apply it to, to Jesus. Apply exactly. it to your Christian life. That's exactly what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9. They do it to attain a perishable crown, but we an imperishable. So right. I do not run aimlessly. Right. I do not box as one beating the air. Paul's like, I know where I'm going. And if I take a swing at something, you best believe I'm going to hit it. Yeah. He was a very driven person. And he then took all of that drive and applied it to his Christian life. And that's what we have to do here. Right. That That's all. You know how to do this is what we're trying to say. Mm -hmm. You know how to do this because you do it with other things. Maybe you don't and you're, you feel kind of bored with life. Well, you know, you got to get a hobby, right? You ever have someone tell you that? You need to get a hobby or you need to get a life, right? That's Find some things you're interested in. But the big rock, you remember that illustration? You ever yep. see that one? Absolutely. You put the big rock in first. That's your Christian life. You put these things in first and then the rest of these things will come alive to you and they won't become a hindrance to you. Mm. This is the first and That's most important point. thing. And then all the other stuff will open up to you, right? If you sacrifice Isaac on the mountain, God will give you Isaac back. If you're able to do this. So 
Let's go ahead and get into this list now. That that explains why we ought to do this, and I hope it revs some of you up, and some of you that are of a of a athletic or an entrepreneurial bent or a creative bent that loves the thought of going after that target. Hey, man, that's good. Right. Apply that now to your Christian life, and we're going to run through all told in these. I think we're going to do three of these episodes where we're going to look at this list of ten spiritual disciplines. These lists vary. Like sure. I, people will, there's one book I love that I think has 17. Uh, there's another oh. one that has 11. There's one that is like called the five spiritual disciplines or whatever. And they pretty much are combining or separating these things, uh, however it might be. So we're just going to look at, at the first one, but we'll split it up into two today. And this is a subject we've talked about before, but it is the foundation of all spiritual discipline other than prayer. We'll discuss that next time, but we're going to talk about the Bible. Mm. And this is the... The biggest thing, your quiet time with the day, have you read your Bible today? And I'm going to split this up into Bible reading and Bible study. And we're going to maybe give you some practical advice on this and, and the, the importance of it and different ways of going about it. We've already done some of this in the last one, which is why we're just going to do it shorter here at the end. But let's just talk about reading the Bible. I mean, when we talk about spiritual discipline, the first thing, Zach, is you've got to read the book <laughs> that God gave us. You believe right. all this stuff about it? Now it's time to read it. Yep, and and I, I think this is this is a really good test for spiritual disciplines too, because this is one of the ones that we most commonly feel guilty about, right? Is you'll see, how's your Bible reading been going? Oh well, you know, right? And we feel really bad about oh, it. Go the other way in church, because that guy's going to ask me how my devotional right? times right. been going. If you're that guy in church, keep being that guy. You're yeah. amazing. Please, please be that be guy. Be a Mike. You're great. Yeah, that's, that's Mike right, Mike from, from church. Man. Miss you, Mike. Yep. Always ask. Yep. Always ask. And 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 so what. But this is a good place to learn, right? Because what is what is Bible reading? Well, it's a repetitive thing. You're supposed to, we want to do this every day. It can be a little boring, especially if you're not, look, for, for Tyler and I, we tend to be more bookish people, right? This is for us, picking up a book and reading it every day does not sound like a chore, but maybe you're not and that's all right, but we are people of the book right? Christians, yes, we, we don't get that option to just say, well, I just don't read the Bible. That's not going to work out for you. I, I have found though, yeah, I love to read and I read a ton of books, but um, I have found that even people who love to read mm. will have a difficult time reading the Bible. And you kind of get this, this bookish snob attitude towards the Bible. It's like, well, huh. it doesn't have the same excitement or it's not, it's not what I like to read. And which is, that's all temptation, because once sure. you get into it, you love it. And and I mean, this is the book, this book has changed the world. Right, right. So if you find it boring, the you, problem is not with the book. You are boring. <laughs> right? It's, right. You, you've got to learn yeah. to get into it. And I mean, there's, I mean, there's Psalms that are mm -hmm. very easy to understand. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, right? There are people that like that, that don't even believe in God. They like, you know, they like some Psalms. But then there are other bits, man, it's, it's steak. Like yeah. it is full on prime rib steak. With a baked potato on the side and cruciferous vegetables over here, right? <laughs> and water, no, 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 no soda, no juice. It's water for you, right? And it takes some hustling to get through, but mm -hmm. you've got to read the book. Yeah, I mean, and, it's as simple as that. You've got to read it. And I think what this is one of these places, and I, I'll, I'll probably keep saying this a couple of times because it's something I've learned maybe in the last couple of years, very recently. This is a time where you may need to sit down with yourself and with the Lord in a notebook and. Act. Think about you for a minute. What, how does, how do these things work for you? Right? Because I'm, I'm, it's not going to change. You're going to need to be in the Bible 
every day. You need to get your nose in there, right? But the way that that looks for you might be different because of how the Lord's made you, how your how your body works, whether you're a morning person, an evening person, whether you're a person who likes to sit down and read a book or you're an auditory learner or whatever, right? Th- that could look very different. And you are the person who is going to know between you and the Lord how you're best going to be able to do the things he's asking you to do. So for, for a thing like Bible reading, I encourage people, look, are, are you awake in the morning? Because if you are not awake in the morning, please, please don't like maybe consider (laughs) that you need to read the Bible when you're most awake and ready to receive it, right? Now, I personally, I tend to encourage people, if you can, I think morning devotions are awesome because it's right at the beginning of your day. And I think it's a great way to, it's a good habit to have. There's nothing the matter with it. It's not legalism to say, hey, you should try and do this, right? But maybe, Tyler, you're a night owl. So I I, I know that it can be a little, I imagine it can be a little difficult for you to have a 6 a.m. devotional routine. It can. I try to do my devotions first thing Mm. because I get, I get antsy and I start working. Once I start working, I'm, I'm, I have a lot of inertia. It's very hard for me to stop. Um, So I try to do it in the morning, but yeah, if I, some of my best prayer times have come at night when everybody's asleep, everybody's in bed. I read my Bible and I start to pray and that's I've had some incredible times with the Lord, right. uh, but you've got to. The point is, you've got to do it, guys. Right. And I would say that reading your Bible needs to happen in addition, over and above the reading of devotional books. I love devotional books. Oh, I've, yeah, I read yeah. my utmost for His highest <clears throat> almost that. every day. Yeah, I try to do it every day, and I my mother reads morning and evening from Charles Spurgeon every also day. Good. Um, th- they're great, I'm, and it could be a modern one. That's fine, but. You cannot substitute that for the reading of scripture. Yeah, uh, you've got to read it, and I mean, in large doses. You've got to just take it in so that you know what's in it. Uh, you gotta, you've got to be your local expert on the Bible so that you're aware when false teaching comes in. And biblical illiteracy is a problem. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is people just don't know what's in it. They don't know what it says. Even in the seminary, I'll tell my horror story when I was at Liberty, <laughs> um, and I, I hope this isn't typical, but I was in my Book of Acts class. And you think the book of Acts, I mean, that's a fun one. <laughs> it's got miracles and demons and, yeah, you know. It's not Obadiah. It's, it's one that you think yeah. most people would know. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, some people even, oh, Obadiah is a book? Yeah, it sure is. <laughs> 21 verses. You can read it today. Uh, but I was in this book of Acts class and um, there were 60 kids in the class. I remember this because it was full. And the teacher said, so how many of you have read the book of Acts before? And I remember 11 people raised their hand. Gosh. And they said, how many of you have read this book only in preparation for this class. And a few people put their hands down. I was shocked. I'm like, dude, we got to stop and have revival right now if we're going to do this. And I mean, I I grew up in a church that very much honors the word. And nobody in that room doubted the book of Acts. Nobody in that room doubted the Bible. But I mean, some of them had even been accepted as missionaries already at the end of that semester. They hadn't even read the book of Acts. I'm sure they had heard Bible studies on it. I'm sure they had knew more or less what was in it, but like to actually sit down and read the thing. Mm. And this was something that was expected to be, this is what you go to Bible college for is to read the Bible. No, <laughs> no, you yeah. read it on your own. Right. You read it first. You should read it because you are a Christian. You're, you're a, a person of the book. Now, don't take that and go, wow, these people really have a problem. At least they were in the class. Are you mm. reading this book? Right. Have you read the Gospels? Have you read some of these things? How often does your pastor surprise you with a Bible verse? Hopefully you don't get too surprised. Hopefully you go, oh yeah, I forgot about that one. Oh yeah, that's in, oh, that's a great cross-reference. I would, I would love for each of you to get to the place where you're listening to your pastor preach and you go, you know what verse goes real well with that? And so you're reminded of something that you've read recently. 
you've got to read the book. And mm. we've talked about this before. Psalm 119, 11, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Quantity. That's what I mean by Bible reading. Quantity. Yes, quality is good. Quantity. Yeah, get I'll actually... All, get it in there. Read it and read it again. I'm going to say, if you've experienced, like I have the death of a, of a Bible reading plan <laughs> several times in your life... Oh, I've never used one. Yeah. They don't work for me. I, I can't... I, oh. They don't work for me. Whatever. I have not been able to make it work. Yeah, there you go. So that's But the, I have read my Bible many times. That's freeing for some of you, right? That maybe maybe the Bible reading plan in a year just isn't for you, right? I find that I need I knowing myself, I need the discipline of maybe not a plan, but at least a a a, pat, a way forward of knowing it's not just I'm going to flip it open and guess what I'm going to do today. I need to know what I'm doing today and tomorrow. What I also find is you you are going to get bored and bogged down and stuck if you're reading 5 verses a day. Oh yeah. I guarantee that's too, it. That's too short. You're gonna. And and here's why. People say, "Well, I'm trying to focus on it." And yeah, but here's the thing. The Bible, a lot of parts of the Bible are 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 written in big broad sections where yeah. you're only going to get what's even going on if you're reading sometimes maybe even a couple chapters or more at a time. So, look, approach it like you would any other good book that you enjoy. Crush it. Like tell yourself, "Hey, I'm going to give myself 30 minutes and I'm going to read as much Bible as I can in 30 minutes." You're going to have a lot more fun doing that, I think. Yeah, at least a chapter. Yeah, yeah oh, at least a absolutely. chapter or more. I mean, some of the books of the New Testament and the Old Testament, too. I mean, you should read them all in one sitting. Like You yeah. should read Zephaniah in one sitting. You should read Galatians in one sitting. Uh, James, 1 John. Now, they do merit closer study, which is what we're going to get to next. Right. But the the basic thing that you got to just read your Bible. Yeah. And if you don't, well, I don't know what to do, just open it up and start reading it. Start yep. Genesis, read a chapter, and keep going. You're going to come across genealogies and laws. It's all scripture, guys. It's like, oh, it's boring to me. I don't care. Read. Right. <laughs> you have to read it. It's in there because God wanted it in there. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, for what it's worth, we just uh, we studied the book of Leviticus not long ago, and uh, many of the people in our church said, "Wow, I this is my favorite study we've had so far." Mm-hmm. You know why? Because it was all new. It was all <laughs> right. new to him. <laughs> right. And it opens up so many other parts of the Bible. Like, oh, Jesus was talking about that. Mm-hmm. Oh, this story is important because of this here. So read the Bible. But let's get to number two here, and that is the study of the Bible. Mm. This is that in-depth, maybe we're only going to do five verses today, study. I'm a believer that you should at least be rotating these things. At least rotate your Bible study with your Bible reading. Like mm. we're going to study slowly through the book of First Peter, and then I'm going to read the New Testament again. Or I'm going to study my way through Isaiah for 10 chapters, and then I'm going to read the whole book of Isaiah again to get a sense of the whole flow. Uh, you, got, you got to do that. But this is drilling deeply. So if Bible reading is quantity. Bible study is quality. And we've got to be able to learn not just the broad sweep, but the individual verses because... You know, in the book of Galatians, for example, Zach, that Paul refers to something God said to Abraham, and he says, because God said seed, singular, and not seeds, plural, right? that that totally transforms the way we understand it. This is about Jesus, not just his other offspring. So if what we call in grammar, the number, <laughs> plural or singular, yeah. if the number of a word Tenses matter, all that matters yeah. that much, then it yeah. all, you've got to get down into the, the nitty gritty of it. And look, let me just... I, because I, I can tend to be the kind of person that says, no, I'm I'm trying to read the broad narrative and understand. Look, remember we said it's, I'm not telling you you have to give up this other thing. Yeah, you both. just have to apply. You have to apply the same thing from other places in your life to this. Okay. My brother or sister in Christ. How did you end up knowing that much about pick your, pick your thing? 
what what is your thing lord of the rings or harry potter <laughs> or right you trust me if i start asking you questions about your favorite fictional thing you could the revolutionary tell me war some frightening <laughs> not fictional but true you could tell me some frighteningly high levels of detail that i would say oh my goodness like you need another hobby like in addition to this hobby right the bible how are you going to get there with the bible because i think you should be there i think as a christian by the end of your life and set a broad goal not tomorrow but in, in 10 years, I want to be the kind of person that has a scary knowledge of the Bible. Yeah. Okay, well, how, how am I going to get Nobody there? Nobody gets anything past you. Right. How am I going to get there? Well, I'm going to have to dig in there just like I dig in there to the Wikipedia of a thing about a character that is or, in the... Or the stat line of your favorite exactly. baseball team or the roster of your football right. team. You know who's on the practice squad and what yeah. they did in college. And hey, that's great. Just do it. For this too. Right. And and the way and that's gonna require just like with sports, right? If you're gonna be that intense about your sports team, it's not gonna be enough for you to just watch the game. Which in this analogy that's getting weird a little bit is like you're not just going to be able to show up on Sunday. You're not even just going to be able to show up and just read your Bible for distance. You're going to be busting out. Okay, here's a commentary and here's all the stats and the the bits and this extra website tells me where I can go and find all this, right? You're going to be getting this additional material that's good and godly and trusted like we talked about with Bible study. Yeah, so that you independent study. <laughs> right, so that you have extra things, not extra to the Bible, but things that you can apply to your Bible study that will help you go deeper. Yeah. And and that's the thing that's really going to give you something that is going to protect you, I think, a lot of times from people who look like they've done that. Yeah. <laughs> and you can say, no, man, I've done the homework. I know, you, you know, I, I know what's going on here. Let me explain that to you. And that's yeah. an important so thing to have. I'll give you an example of this. So um, I love football. I watch a ton of football. I've actually tried to reduce it this year, believe it or not, because it just was getting out of hand. Because I got into college football. I was a big NFL fan, and then we moved down to Alabama, and everybody watches college ball. And then now I'm like, okay, I cannot be equally into both of these. (laughs) There (laughs) goes every weekend. But what I've started to do with football is I watched a documentary on John Madden. Again, independent study. I went off and I found something else about something that interested me. And he has an interesting comment in there where they're talking about, he says, if you want to understand football, you have to understand the offensive line first. I'm like, hmm, I don't know if I really get that. So what I started doing is I've started watching the offensive line every play just to see what I can pick up. And so, for example, I ended up watching because it was a Thursday night game and then my team played them, uh, the Cleveland Browns. And I watched how they did it. And they have Nick Chubb, who's an incredible running back. And I watched them and I learned that when they pull a blocker from one side to the other side, when they pull a blocker, 99% of the time it's a run. And if they don't pull a blocker, 99% of the time it's a pass. So it doesn't matter if the quarterback drops back. If they pulled that left guard, Chubb is getting the ball. Mm. He's going to run it somewhere. And when they don't, that's their trick play. And so I'm watching this and it doesn't make me a genius. That just means I was paying attention. If I'm able to pick up on something like that, like, I know football, right? Oh, he caught the ball, and now he's running for a touchdown. Okay, yeah, that's that's the basics of football. But now I'm starting to just dig into the nitty-gritty a little bit. All right, this is how this offense runs this scheme. That's interesting. They don't do it that way. That's study. Now let's apply that, like Paul said, 1 Corinthians 9, to the Scriptures. Mm-hmm. You're reading your Bible. You're hearing your pastor preach the Bible. Now you get into it, and it's like, you know, we, we believe that justification is by faith alone. Why do we believe that? Well, what you do is you read in Galatians or Romans where Paul talks about that. And here's the most basic form of Bible study. Paul quotes from the Old Testament. Check the references. Go back to those Old Testament passages and read them. 
see the greater context of that and understand what's going on. Maybe pull up an interlinear Bible and look at the Greek or the Hebrew or the Aramaic and figure out what are, what is going on here. Why why did they use this word specifically and not another? What is the what does the structure of this sentence emphasize? And you try to pull out what this passage means, not just for your life, but what it means theologically. And then you start to relate that to other passages. Okay, this is interesting because Paul uses this verse that it was counted to Abraham as righteousness to say that salvation is justification is by faith. James uses the same verse to say that it's by works. So is that contradiction? Well, theologically, right? We don't believe that there's contradiction in scripture. So that's something to cook your noodle. And what are they saying? And what does James have to say about faith? And what does Paul have to say about works? Maybe we bring these two together and you gain a greater understanding or you come across a name in the Bible. I have no idea who this is. (laughs) Go look it up. Or that's the basics of Bible study. The Mm -hmm. best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. And uh, this is where having a broad knowledge of scripture will help you in your Bible study. Yeah. It's almost a precursor. You have to have that first. Well, especially because if you start going narrow on something and you don't have a broad knowledge, that's how we make heresy, basically. (laughs) That's how that happens, right? So we want want to have broad knowledge. You want to go deeper. And then I would say then, and this is maybe the 201 or the 301 class here, right, is, hey, also, and we've talked about this before, you should be reading theology. You should be reading great work. Get some helpful books. Yeah, great devotional works. Like, oh my, you mentioned Andrew Murray. You know, this is your Andrew Murray's, your C.S. Lewis's, your Oswald Chambers, your Spurgeon's, your the great people who have walked this, you know, discipline road you're trying to walk and they've done a great job. Read those, right? And keep, don't stop at some point and say, well, I'm, you know, I'm doing 15 minutes of Bible reading every morning. Now I'm good, right? You wouldn't do that probably with a real hobby you liked. So let's continue thinking how, what else can I add so I can be, immersed, right? We said in yeah, these things. immersed in the scripture. Right. Uh, another technique is when you're going through a passage, a lot of the Old Testament is very poetic. A lot of the New Testament is is structured like an argument, like a like a philo- philosophical argument. Make sure that you understand the flow. Make sure that you get what Paul is saying. Paul has some long sentences with wonderful little additional you know, clauses and additional phrases and parenthetical statements. Make sure you can just track what he's saying. It's very easy to get the gist of what the writers are saying. Or when Isaiah has this long description, like he'll have seven or eight verses that really amount to one thing, Hmm. you know, like Babylon is in sin. Okay. And, and he, but he describes it for seven or eight verses. And then now you get to the next one and God says what he's going to do about it. And you look at the details of that and you get a sense of the flow so that you're grasping what it says. And that's when you get good books or you get good Bible teaching online. Uh, you're, you learn not just what it means, but you learn the methods of how we arrive to that. You're connecting scripture to scripture. And then that's when you've got to apply your life to it. You say, okay, am I obeying these things? Paul said about the Bereans, or actually Luke wrote about the Bereans in Acts 17, verse 11. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Hmm. They commended these Berean Jews because they didn't take Paul's word on it on its own. They went back to the scripture and did some Bible study and tested to see if he was right. And that was a good thing to do. So examine the scriptures. Try to understand it. And it's like, well, I don't know anything. We'll start with the basics. Can you at least give me a general summary of what this book is about? And what Paul meant when he says this? What does that word in general mean? Do you at least have the basics down? 
and this is where you need help, and this is where you you need good books, and you need good pastors, and a good Bible study teacher. But this is this is also a spiritual discipline, and maybe it's got to be one of those things where during the week you're reading the Bible. Mm. You're memorizing scripture. That's something else. That's a whole other spiritual discipline. Memorize scripture. Oh, yeah. And then maybe on your days off, that's when you're going to do some Bible study. When you've got a little more time, you've got a good concordance, you've got maybe a good commentary or two, you've got a, di- a Bible dictionary, and you're going to take the time to really dig into it. Although, make sure that you're not neglecting that, that Bible study because you're spending six hours binging you know, Netflix, like you, you've got to, you've got to make sure you're giving the Lord the time it's due. So we got these two spiritual disciplines. I mean, Zach, what kind of, what kind of fruit can you see from planting seeds like that and cultivating them in your life? We talked about at the beginning of these are process goals that will help us grow in the Lord. What, what can you expect to change in you when you do these things? I'll just tell you, I'm just personally, so our family is finally getting back into a really consistent groove of devotions, not just, I obviously was doing personal devotions, you know, on and off less than I would like to. But now that as our kids are getting to an age where it's my wife and I are able to have 45 minutes, 30 minutes in the morning together to sit and read our Bibles together. I will just say that has been a huge thing, not just for our growing in the word, but we have gotten to enjoy. We're sitting there and we're reading usually in different places. And every once in a while, one of us will stop and we'll say, huh, did you know that this thing over here happened over here and I'll, I'll look over and I'll say, oh, I, I didn't, well, look at that. And then someone will say, you know, I never noticed how the when the Lord is talking about judgment, he also keeps talking about how he's going to restore people. Isn't that cool? And now we're not just, now we're not just receiving the things that we're receiving from the Lord, but we're getting to share and edify each other. It's good for our relationship. It's an excellent way to start our day, right? Now I'm going off to my day, not all the things I got to do, but hey, I learned three things about the Lord today. Like it, I, yeah. it has been... Those moments are great when you're like, hey, whoa, whoa, okay, if that's true, exactly. and you flip, 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 yeah. to find some meals, then that means this and that. And it, I, breakfast is the most important meal of the day. Yep. And that's that's what getting in the word is. I don't want to, ex- like, I'm, and I'm just giving a testimony to encourage you. If you're down or feeling like, oh man, is this even worth it? Like the, the first day we finally were able to do this, we looked at each other and we were like, why is this the best morning we've had in a while? And we're yeah. like, well, duh, because we're sitting here spending time in God's word. So it, and because it, the word is alive. Yep. It, yep, yep. It, it reads you back, man. Yep. It, it's going to cut you open and, and do do open heart surgery right there in the morning. And when you started the day with that, you know, you mm. started the day with, with the Lord. Even when you have a bad day, your bad days will be less bad than before. And I mean, like in terms of obedience, I don't mean like nothing bad's going to happen to you. <laughs> right. I, you know, you still might rear end somebody, but rather than losing your temper, you might just be a little more under control. And isn't it, Zach, astonishing how the Lord will give you exactly the right scripture for the day? Oh, yeah. I mean, if that's not an exact, uh, you, you, that's one of those things that only Christians know. That, that but, This is how I know God is real. Because I read lots of books and I don't get daily lessons from them. Forget about for the day. The like Lord I do will, from the scripture. Yeah, the Lord will give you like, you, the Lord will give you the exact thing, preparing you for a thing that comes up this year, like you're doing devos at the beginning of the year. And have you ever found something and you're like, oh, I didn't know it, but that was the life. That was the verse for the year that the Lord yeah. was preparing me for, like all kinds of things like that it happens all the time, but it can't happen. Here's the thing. If we go searching for that, this is a good way to wrap it back to what we said. If we go searching for that and we get bummed when we don't find it and we don't do our Bible study because we didn't find the nugget or the bit or the verse, well, you're going to miss out on those. You can only have those through discipline, right? You only get yeah, those moments. It's a, it's a discipline through it's showing up. And sometimes, guess what? As exciting as this all is, you know what? Sometimes you you come and you show up and you read 
I don't know, you read in Exodus and you get done and you say, well, I don't have any takeaway and that wasn't super fun. And I didn't, and maybe I've read that three times and I didn't really learn anything, but you know what? I, I was obedient to the Lord and I'm trusting that the Lord is going to use this to build righteousness in me. And I promise you, it is going to happen when you continue to do that. Do you ever eat salad for like a week, like faithfully, like you're doing a good job with, and you just hate it. And like, this is so stupid. And why am I even doing this? But then all of a sudden you hop on the scale. You're like, oh, would you look at that? <laughs> I didn't, like... I didn't notice any different. Like when you, I mean, when you bench press something like your arms are sore and like, I did something for myself today. <laughs> That's right. But I mean, or when you stretch, like nobody likes to stretch before you work out because it's just a waste of time and I got to get back home. And, but if you don't do those things, you notice mm-hmm. and they make a difference. And it's, if you can't connect that this matters and affects this, then you're, you're going to get out of whack. That's why we we are disciplining ourselves to do this, you guys. And it's not just the scripture. We're going to get into some other things too in, mm. in the coming uh, episodes. But I think this is a good place for us to, to bring it to a close that if we can put forth the kind of effort that we do for other areas of our life, and it needs to be given to those other areas of your life, yep. it's not abandon all those things, like you said earlier, Zach. It's do it to this too. If, if we can put this forth... Put forth this kind of effort to achieve a perishable crown. How much more this this eternal glory that Jesus is going to give us. Work out your own sanctification and you will see the fruit come in your life. Even if you're not feeling it, right? You, you How excited do you get the first time you see a little bit of green growth coming out of your garden? Like, oh, <laughs> look at that. And before it was just dirt and it was like nothing's happening. Oh, something was happening though. It right. was germinating and growing and expanding and the roots were going out. You've got to start that. You've got to trust that this is discipline. That's going to lead to some long-term changes. Yep. Yep. Discipline equals freedom. It's good to, and you, you commit to it. You stay consistent with it, no matter what your feelings are about it on that day, on that Monday morning. And trust me, you, it's an act of faith. Really disciplines are an act of faith. You're saying, look, Lord, I don't feel this today, but I'm trusting by faith that you're going to do what you That's said, good. That's good. which is produce this thing in me. And, and you know what? The Lord shows up. He, he keeps his promises. Yeah. So hopefully this has liberated you from being afraid to put forth effort in your Christian life. You mm-hmm. need to, right? You are supposed to put forth effort, straining towards the goal, the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And this looks, th- this is to be these everyday basic things. What can I do to grow in Christ? Read your Bible. Study your Bible. Do that. Discipline yourself to do it, and you're going to see the fruit come. And there's lots more to come, so we will be getting to that next time. Thanks so much for listening, you guys. We will see you next time. Have a good day.